Davis Reviews Podcast. I'm Daniel. I'm here with Billy in Australia. Hello. And today we're talking about Promise Land, the album. Studio. This is the first studio album we've reviewed. It is. We did a live show and now we're doing a studio album. This was his 21st studio album, if I've got the numbers right. And it was released on Elvis's 40th birthday, yeah. January 8th, 1975, is... is what the internet told me. Am I correct? I am going to say you are. <laughs> The birthday is definitely correct. Yeah, January 8th, 1935 is when he was born. So yeah, if this came okay. out in 75, that does sound correct. Happy birthday. Yeah, I want to quickly, before we jump into this album, I feel like I want to make two very quick corrections to something I said previous. One thing is I, I said Elvis had never written any of his own songs, and I knew I was wrong as soon as I said it, but I didn't want to interrupt you. Elvis wrote a song called You'll Be Gone. It was a bonus track on the Girl Happy soundtrack. That's all. He did write uh, one song. I wanted to get that out. And look, he probably did write some more. Maybe they were just never released. But Maybe. I, he's credited on a few, but I think that was Parker trying to get some publishing rights. The only one I really... He, he was in the room when it happened, so yeah, put his name down. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, he interpreted things so radically, he really kind of deserved writing credit on some things. Uh, yeah. But the other thing I want to very quickly do is, is apologize for calling Pat Boone the Vanilla Ice of the 50s. That was from... <laughs> Maybe not fair to either of those artists. So yeah, uh, that's it. I'm <laughs> that's done. That's an insult to Vanilla Rice. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, but I did want to apologize for that. And now I'm finished apologizing. Well, I'm still amazed that Pat Boone is still alive. That's one thing I didn't know. I thought he would have been long gone by now. No, he's 87 and living in Florida. Wow. I believe. As you do. So. That's pretty much the um, the expected yeah. <laughs> way that things go. <laughs> Can't figure out why that is, but yeah. I mean, Florida is just hot and it's miserable, warm. but oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Look, it's as simple as this. When you get older, you get colder. So you want to be That's warmer. That so is in true. America, you go into Florida. And also, you get older, you get a bit more conservative. So mm. Florida's the best state for you to be in right now. <laughs> Did I just offend 50% of people listening? I don't know. <laughs> you might have. Well, I There's was going to make... with that. That's true, though. Tell me that's not true. That's true. I was going to say something even more. Who could argue that? So <laughs> I'll stick with that. Okay. Who could argue with that? So, a few things before we get into the, the songs. Mm -hmm. Before we get into that, I have to say, it took me a while to get back into like a mindset of reviewing not just studio tracks, but 70s studio tracks. Same I mean, here. the quality of some of these songs, it's just not great, let's, let's say, <laughs> to say it politely. So, I won't go as far as to say I've lowered my standards, but it definitely took a bit of brain adjustment to, you know, yeah. get into these tracks and think about them objectively. Yeah. So I'm, I'll just say that before I before I start. Well, I realized it's been forever since I've listened to an Elvis album in its original context or yeah. uh, formation or whatever. Because, yeah, I've usually got the 70s stuff maybe just on shuffle. So I'd hear a couple of these. But this is the first time in God knows how long since I've actually listened to this song in order or the songs from this album in order. I was a little bit pleasantly surprised myself because I, I made notes before I listened to the album because I know these songs pretty well. And then when I went back and played it and compared it to the notes I made, I liked the songs much more than I remembered liking them. So I kind of... So you said the same thing about Afternoon at the Garden. So this, this is a true. good sign. That's true. <laughs> well, yeah, Elvis just sort of never disappoints me. I'm always pleasantly... He's always better than I remember and I remember him being pretty good usually. So... Yeah, it is a good sign. Mm. Interesting to me, like these songs were all recorded in, I think, late 73. Mm -hmm. And I think if I'm right, roughly half the songs ended up on this album and half the songs ended up on Good Times. So by yeah. the time this album was released, you know, all these songs were over a year old, mm -hmm. which is um, 
I suppose for some artists that's normal, but I don't know. Well, it, it just is, seemed a bit strange that they were that old at the time. Right. Well, it is kind of odd because Elvis didn't really, you know, create an album. He would just go in and do these marathon recording sessions and then RCA or Dalton Jarvis or whoever it is would go through them. Divide. They would put the albums together. Yeah. yeah. So he had no real say about the sequence or if any album made a, a statement. Well, I mean, none of them do. Yeah, that is kind of weird. It's it's just sort of a... I was starting to get that feeling like like coming from a Prince background where he's like yeah. fully 100% involved in putting an album together full of all the tracks that he thinks are going to make that album mm-hmm. the album and then the sequencing and this song should go before that one and that goes into this and there's, there might be a, a statement for the album, there might be a story. And then I listen to Elvis albums and it's just like, it's just <laughs> here's a bunch of tracks yeah. with no thought really put behind them. I mean, maybe there was thought put behind them by RCA or whoever, but not by Elvis himself. Yeah. I'm looking at the recording sessions right now. It looks like December 10th through 16th, 1973. All of this was recorded. And this was actually, these were actually the last studio recordings that he made in Memphis. Is that right? I didn't know that myself. Yeah, he recorded his next album is another live concert uh, from Mid-South Coliseum in Memphis. No, he did. Yeah, you might yep, be right. I that one. Yeah, I think you're right. Because then he, the next album he recorded in Hollywood and then he died. So, yeah, I think you are correct. Woohoo. <laughs> and one last thing. Mm-hmm. This album got to number one on the country charts in USA. Yeah, it did indeed. Which, um, yeah, amazing. And listening to it now and listening, me judging these songs on their quality, mm-hmm. that seems quite astounding to me. <laughs> Yeah, But then, you know, it was Elvis in the 70s, so yeah. you know, I can see how it happened. But looking at it from 2021, you're just like, really? This was number. This was a number one country album? I mean, and there is a lot of country songs on here. Yeah. But to get to number one, really, sort of, I was like, wow, okay then. Yeah. Well, again, like you said, it was the country chart. I don't know the state of country music at the time. Yeah. I mean, getting to number one on the country chart might have required a lot less sales than probably other charts so but it's not like there wasn't a lot of competition i mean there were so many like country music it's such a much bigger thing in the states than it is in australia yeah like it really like in australia it's really like a a minimal genre but in america it's huge yeah i've never been a country music guy so i don't really know much about it I don't know. Uh, yeah, I barely know anything. Yeah. I know... Um, I mean, I know Dolly Parton. I'll, I'll admit, I love that Shania Twain, her mm-hmm. album that went massive. Right. Because it was sort of like a crossover between country and pop and rock. Right. And Which most Elvis... I think that came out... Was it Come On Over? I think it was 98 or 99. Like, I love that album. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't technically no. 100% country. But it was pop. I think it got a lot of people to go and listen to country music because they're like, well, this is sort of a mix of this and that. Yeah. Which, when you think about it, is sort of what Elvis did. He'd like mishmash all these things together right. and make them way more popular than they were before. Yeah. So, yeah, I th- it's interesting. I think even on this album, the country songs are much more pop than yeah. or a blending of both. So That's what he, that's what he did. Yep, it is. So, unless there's anything else. Nope. I think I'm ready. We're going to go into the first, our first studio album review. Ready? It's called Promised Land by Mr. Elvis Presley. Track number one is called Promised Land. Yep. <laughs> and I love I love this as an opening. There's not a lot of, like we were just saying, not that much thought went into the sequencing of an album necessarily. But this is a really good opening to me. It's an old Chuck Berry song. I can't believe I've never heard the original, but I've never heard the original. Elvis's version is great. It's hard to know what to say. I mean, the guitar sounds great. Elvis is very clearly into it. It suits him perfectly. Uh, my favorite memory of this song is when it was used in the movie Men in Black with uh, Tommy Lee Jones uh, and yep. uh, Will Smith. 
In fact, Tommy Lee Jones has this album on an eight track and pops it in his uh, car. And this song like ah. kicks off and it's it's great. It's great in the movie. It's great on the album. I think he's done it live maybe once or twice. Not even sure. But it's great. It's a great opening to the album as far as I'm concerned. I, I did read that it was in The Men in Black and then mm-hmm. I... And I thought, how cool would that be if you were a massive Elvis fan and you just happened to go and watch this movie? And that's what happened to me. And then you see the 8-track come out and you're like, it's Promised uh-huh. Land. Oh, I was so <laughs> and thrilled. Then st- and then it starts playing. That would just blow your mind. It did blow my mind. I did see that in the movie theater. And to hear those opening guitar chords and coming out of like Dolby surround sound while oh, yeah. Tommy Lee Jones is driving upside down with Will Smith in the car. <laughs> yeah, it's it was a great <laughs> moment. It really was. It would have been so unexpected as well. Totally. And like, it's not like it was Jailhouse Rock or one of the yeah. real popular hits. It was like this. Yeah, wow. It was very cool. <laughs> yeah, that's my favorite memory of this song. But yeah, I'm a fan. I like that one. Like from the first five seconds of this, I just loved mm-hmm. it. Like you've got that funky clav keyboard sound and as soon as i hear that in any song i just know it's going to be good and the interesting thing you said this is a chuck berry song it was an old chuck berry song came out in 1964 the original and it seems like a lot of covers that elvis did were usually fairly recent like in the last six months or year Mm -hmm. but this was almost you know 10 years old by the time it was released so that was that was interesting i can't imagine it sounds too much like the original i mean it sounds very modern Well, let me get to that. (laughs) I went and found Chuck Berry's original version. It's a bit slower Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have the, say, urgency of the Elvis version, but I like it just the same. Mm -hmm. And it sounds, you know, it sounds just like a Chuck Berry song you'd expect it to sound like. But it is very similar, actually. Oh, okay. Like I said, I've never gone back. It's on YouTube. Go go and find it. It's very similar. It's just a bit slower. And of course, it's Chuck Berry's voice, not Elvis, but it's not that different. Yeah. I think what happens with Elvis a lot of times in the studio is he's just screwing around with a song he likes with no intention of really recording it. And then the musicians all get on board and then somebody makes some phone calls about publishing rights. And if it all works out, he goes ahead and does it. So this is probably something Elvis has known since the 60s and maybe just messed around with during rehearsals for years at this point. And at this session, they just went ahead and recorded it. I mean, that's my guess. Yeah. I mean, you should love, you said you love this song. You should love it because it, it mentions New Orleans in there. New Orleans gets mentioned in so many Elvis songs, and I'm always happy when it happens. Yeah. What's the, well, Johnny Be Good, obviously, and yeah, there's quite a few that uh, New Orleans gets a shout out. Ah. Although, why he was in such a hurry to get out of New Orleans and go to Houston, I don't know why that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you're right. New Orleans gets a shout out. Last thing I've got to say is, of course, this was released as a single. The B-side was It's Midnight. Right, on the same album. So yeah, that's that's track number one. Here we go. Chuck Berry. Track number two is There's a Honky Tonk Angel. Who Will Take Me Back In. Right. You go. I don't like the song that much. <laughs> actually, I remembered liking it less. When I played it back, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Here's the issue I have with this song. A Honky Tonk is like a roadhouse. It's like a really rough bar. Mm. So whenever he sings this and starts talking about this woman, I just picture this like 40-something alcoholic who hangs out at a dive bar. (laughs) (laughs) And she's just waiting for him to get divorced. And yeah, it's it's kind of weird... thing it triggers in me but it's it's not bad it's better than i remember it the interesting thing i'm finding with now listening to these studio albums and there's a lot of almost all songs written by other people oh, yeah. is that there's usually sometimes there's a previous you know the original version yeah so i went and found the original version of this which is by conway twitty ah, i didn't know that and it's fine it sounds a bit more country mm-hmm than the Elvis version. But the originals, again, it's fine. Okay. Apart from that, they do sound pretty similar. 
it's a bit of different instrumentation, but overall Elvis does you could say a fairly faithful rendition of this track. Well, that's interesting. I think Conway Twitty had a what was his big hit? It's only make believe, which is a very, very uh, Elvisy vocal yes. from Conway Twitty. Like even just when you said that title, I thought that was probably covered you would, that. <laughs> you would think. If if so, it's still unreleased, but he could have. It was perfect for his voice. And you know, I might be saying things that aren't true, but I feel like Conway Twitty his earlier stuff was very Elvisy. And so Elvis covering Conway Twitty makes a lot of sense to me because Conway Twitty was kind of mm. very inspired, I think, by Elvis throughout his career. So that's a good, a good match. Well, yeah, I mean, again, if you want to hear the original, it's on YouTube. Go and have a look. Now, the original version by Conway Twitty actually got to number one on the US ah. country singles chart, which is amazing. Well, I know this was on a single, but I don't know if it was the A-side. I only know that because I have it somewhere. I I think B-side would make more sense. Yeah, I bet it was the B-side of either Thinking About You or... It's funny, every every time you go to find something, I hear all these papers rustling. <laughs> I'm like, oh, he's looking through all these notes. He's got it there somewhere. I've actually, I can't find my favorite Elvis book. It's like a discography by a guy named Paul Lichter, I think. And I've had it since I was in fourth grade. But oh, it's wow. got every album and it's got all the information next to it. It's a really great book, but I have misplaced it. Oh, no. <laughs> That's fine. I'll find it eventually. I know it's on a single, but it might have been after he died. They, Oh, you know what? That's when it came out. After Elvis died, they, they put out an album, two albums of stripped down material with no overdubs. So it's really just Elvis in ah. the studio. And this song was on one of those. It was called Our Memories of Elvis, Volume oh, 1 and okay. Volume 2. They're great albums. They're Ooh. just like unproduced. I'm not sure if I have that. I might have to have a look. They're kind of rare. That sounds interesting. So what, without all the strings yeah, and stuff? No background vocals. Very few strings, just Elvis and usually him and his rhythm section, and that's it. So they're good. Ooh, that sounds interesting. I think they're out of print. I don't... They came out like 1978 and 79 was volume two, maybe. Eight, yeah. And yeah, I haven't seen them in a while. A bit of uh, internet sleuthing might find them somewhere, so I'll have yeah. a look for them. Last thing I've got about this one, like, I don't mind the song, but again, not mind-blowing. But of course, I said this before, an average song or, you know, not an amazing song, still can be just elevated by Elvis's voice alone. Yeah. It just brings it up. Yeah, I absolutely. Um, but, but having said that, his vocal, like I listened to the original album version, not one of the mm -hmm. later, probably better quality remasters or better mixed. So his vocal is not mixed that loud on this track. Yeah. I wish it was a bit more upfront. Maybe the other versions that's fixed. But I did, I did read a few things that about Elvis didn't want his voice to be right up the front. He liked to sort of blend back into the band and be part of the band and not yeah. be, you know, the big voice out the front. So maybe that's on purpose why this song is mixed that way. It could be. There were a couple of movie soundtracks that Elvis, as I understand, became really angry with the mix. Um, there's a couple of songs on the Frankie and Johnny soundtrack in particular where Elvis's voice is so up front. But see, I love that. But I can yeah, understand. Yeah, we love that because we want to hear the voice. But yeah, he did. Yeah, he, he, he liked he didn't. it. Yeah, he wanted to be mixed in with the band. Like he always recorded with the band in the room, which is a problem because you get a lot yeah. of bleed into his mic. Uh, yeah. But that's the way he recorded. He liked to be with the musicians and feel like he was one of them, not the main guy. But that yeah. just speaks to the kind of guy he was too. But yeah, I agree. The vocal on that is beautiful, but eh, the song not is as loud as it could be. <laughs> well, I mean, I can just bring that back to Prince for a second. Mm -hmm. and listeners, if you keep wondering why we keep mentioning Prince, it's like <laughs> that's our main, one of our main obsessions, I guess that's you could correct. say. 
So we got to reference that every now and then. I know that that guy might not be everyone's cup of tea. We'll try and keep it to a minimum, but there's a lot of similarities. So we can't not help say, oh, that that's the same thing that he did because yeah, it's there. It's yeah. right there. <laughs> and we know it. Absolutely. But Prince did that at times. Sometimes he was the big superstar out the front. He wanted his voice mixed. You know, he's he's the guy. And then at other times, he sort of like, I'm just part of the band. I'll just be back here. He even played entire shows with a different lead singer. Yeah. Like, did he do, was it Tamar? And he was just the, the guitar player for the whole concert. Yeah. He just stood back there in the dark in the corner. And of course, everyone was still just staring at him. <laughs> right. But he just wanted to be part of the band. Yeah. I hate when he does that, though. I, I hate when he seeds the spot. Oh, yeah. Spotlight as a fan. Somebody else. It's awful. It's awful. Yeah. Yeah. When he fades into the background, I enjoyed a little less. He might enjoy it more. I enjoy it less. And the same for Prince. Okay, so we are moving on to track number three. It's called Help Me. Mm-hmm. I'll go first okay. because this is, out of all the songs on this album, when I listened through it the first time, this was the only song that I actually recognized mm-hmm. as, you know, oh, I've heard this song a bunch of times before. All the others I was like, I don't think I've heard this. I might have heard it once. Mm-hmm. But I've heard Help Me at countless Elvis concerts, so I know this song. And? But so... I mean, it's interesting to hear, you can go and listen to the original by Larry Gatlin from his 1974 Rain Rainbow album. Yes, of the Gatlin brothers, the big country yeah. act. And that's pretty different to the version that we got from Elvis. Like sometimes they're fairly similar, but this one is not very similar. But I do like the original as well. Okay. I do like the sound of Larry's version. I might even go and listen to that whole album. Yeah. Just because I like the sound of that one song. But back to Elvis. I like the bass in this track. There's some nice little fills here and there. Mm-hmm. The strings are all over this, but they're not they're not overdone. Mm-hmm. You just notice them when you're meant to. But if you listen closely, they are through a lot of the track. Backing vocals are nice. But look, I cannot talk about this song without quickly mentioning the live version of which it's basically the same. Yeah. And then at the end, he goes up a whole octave and belts out that last mm-hmm. line. But yeah, I've heard a lot of live versions of this. And I don't recall listening, like ever hearing this original album version until you know this week so that was something for I know me. it came out as a single because it was when i was collecting elvis yep. singles it was one of the last picture sleeves i was able to get hold of i uh-huh. don't know how it did on the charts it might have charted on a is there a religious chart i think there might have been in the 70s like a christian christian Maybe. contemporary or something mm. I, I like it but it's i know i know the b-side is if you talk in your sleep ah, i know that's that much. the one i love yeah help me is okay the formula with a lot, some of the 70s albums seems to be to include one kind of christian I, I don't know what to call this it's not it's not gospel i guess it's contemporary christian but yeah help me is the one on this one uh, if that isn't love is the one on good times put your hand in the hand is the one on elvis now it was just kind of like a formula. So this is the religious one. It's a good song. I heard it once said that all religious music is basically unrequited love songs because you're singing about your love and devotion to someone who's not necessarily mm. responding. <laughs> I, yeah, I like it. It's it's not one I listen to very often. I don't have much to say about it. I mean, it's nice piano, great vocal as always. Elvis sells it because he believes what he's singing wholeheartedly and that's true for every gospel performance by him and that just you know that just sells it no matter what you what your opinions are about religion i mean well that's something i do like that from what i've been reading like he generally didn't record songs that he didn't like Mm -hmm. but like songs that he you know he believed like the message in this song and he wanted to get that out there right after in 1968 after he did that song if i can dream allegedly he after performing that, he like told 
people in the booth, I'm never going to do another song I don't believe in. And he had stopped doing the movies, started choosing his own material, not having to, you know, sing to dogs and bulls and stuff. So, yeah, (laughs) Yeah. I think that is one thing. He certainly is choosing these songs on his own. There's no Colonel Parker involvement or any of that anymore. Which is something that singers, like someone like Elvis, who, you know, I'm going to call him, you know, he's an entertainer, Mm -hmm. but he's a singer, he's a vocalist. You know, he's. I don't think many people are going to call him a multi-instrumentalist or a drummer or a bass player. You know, he could play guitar occasionally mm-hmm. or piano, but 95% he's Absolutely. a singer. And when that's your sole focus, you don't want to be singing lyrics and songs that you don't right. believe in. Right. And if you've got that choice to choose the songs, then you're going to, you're going to do that for sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so that was Help Me. And now we are track four, Mr. Songman. Tell me about this one. Well, it's the first of three songs on this album in a row that are really depressing. Uh, um, there's a honky tonk angel is already about this unhappy relationship. Then the next one, two, three in a row are all about regret and lost love, which mm. I think is definitely the impression of where Elvis's head was at for a lot of the 70s. Mr. Songman, see, the next two songs especially, I know that they're cheesy and I know that they're not, you know, a critic might be able to tear them apart. But I love them. Uh, I know they're, I mean, they're like guilty pleasures. I mean, I just, I love them. Like Elvis in the 70s had so many of these great lost love, sad songs that, yeah, I mean, I love, I love singing along with this. Actually, I love singing along with all Elvis. But yeah, I, I like it. It's, it's sort of a song about a jukebox, uh, which I guess he's sort of personified and, and is referring to it as Mr. Songman. But it's, it's, it's more or less to a jukebox. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great vocal. It's, it was written by one of his, uh, band members, or not band members, but in his vocal group, I think called Voice. Uh, I thought it was Donnie Sumner. I Donnie don't know if Sumner. he's related to. I think I he was, he's related he was... to JD. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Elvis had put together a little group called Voice, and I feel like Donnie Sumner and yeah. a couple of other people. I think the Stamps is different, but I really might be. I should know this stuff, but I think the Stamps and the Imperials and those people are oh, okay. different. I think. Let us know. Let us know, people. That's what we've got the the email, the social. Get on Twitter. Tell us we're wrong. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to say about Mr. Songman other than I I recognize that it's probably not the greatest song in the world and I could see why some people would really just not like it and the same is going to be true for the next song. But yeah, I like it. Uh, depressing, sad Elvis bringing I love it. Mm. As much of that as there is, I'll take. Okay, it was the B-side to T R O U B L E. I know that's that a much. Great song. And yeah, written by Donnie Sumner. And he's actually one of the backing vocalists on this track. Mm-hmm. But whether he was technically part of the Stamps Quartet at that time or a different named group, I'm not sure. But I know he was there and he's on this track. This song, I mean, it's very short. It's just over two minutes. This is one of those songs that just, it's so quick. It just it just passes by. Nothing really stands out. Mm-hmm. And this is a song, you know, you could probably say that for the next few. Elvis could sing a song like this in his sleep. Yeah. It doesn't, there's no big belting out the, the chorus or anything. It's just la li la li la which is fine. Mm-hmm. It's a nice listen. Yeah. I notice what's interesting is a reason why it's probably so short is there's no break. There's no solo. There's no guitar solo. There's nothing. No. It's just verse, chorus, verse, chorus a couple times and, and then it, that's yeah, it. Yeah, you're right. Which is, is no which is weird because usually most songs have some sort of break or some sort of solo, but this song has nothing at all. And that- Yeah, you're right. My ear, well, as soon as I noticed nothing happened, I listened to it about four times and I'm like, yeah, yeah there's nothing there. There's no solo. There's nothing. <laughs> But do I like it? I mean, it's a straight five out of ten. It's just right in the middle. It's just, it's an okay song. Mm-hmm. It's not good. It's not bad. Elvis makes it slightly better than if someone else was singing it. 
but there's not a lot to it. I don't dislike it because I, some reviews trashed some of these songs that I read. Oh, I didn't read it. And any. then I listened to them and I'm like, it's and I'm like, it's not that bad. Come on. Being objective, like these are like proper music review people. Mm-hmm. If they're reviewing songs from the last 10 years and then they jumped straight back to this, of course you you're not going to look upon some of these songs very favorably, especially if you're in like a 2020 mindset. Right. And and this today's style of songs. You know, 70s mid 70s was a totally different era. You cannot apply, you know. Right thoughts from today to this stuff. Like I said at the start, you just got to change the way your brain's thinking. Mm -hmm. It's the only way. It's the only way to do it. Well, as you said, this was written by like a member of his group. So I don't know, yeah, how great a song it is. I mean, nobody, you know, this isn't him covering Conway Twitty or Chuck Berry. So this is an unproven song as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a little lesser. I I like it, but it is a little, it's pretty slight. Literally. It's just over two minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. We are track number five. Love song of the year. Practically the same review of this as the last song. It's another, it's another, <laughs> uh, another regret based song. The violin in this song is kind of silly. It's a little. It feels almost like a parody of a of a violin solo happening during this song. Mm. I mean, I still, again, I really like this song. I recognize that it's kind of cheesy, but yeah, I like it. I've played this one for other people, and nobody else likes it. But yeah, I guess something about it. I just uh, it's it's the regret thing. I think Elvis conveys despair really well. I mean, the next song is where we're really going to get into that. But mm. it's nice. It's it's a little bit like the previous song, though. It's a little it feels a little slight. But anyway, I, yeah, I, very little to say. It's interesting looking back at you'll know what I'm going to say once I ask this question. Mm. When did he divorce Priscilla? Uh, 1973. Okay. So, yeah, we're right in the So, yeah, it's it. interesting looking back at, you know, not just the albums and songs that he released, but the choices that he made for a lot of these tracks. It's like he was choosing these tracks mm-hmm. and these songs to record, and you can tell a lot of them are affected by the mindset that he was in Absolutely. at the time. And it, it's interesting to look back at that because not all artists do that. Some will go the total mm-hmm. opposite direction and try not to sing anything about that right. but then you can look at like a taylor swift and like she has a breakup and then there's two <laughs> albums all about right. that breakup but yeah it's, it's interesting you can look back and see oh i can see why he chose all these songs at this point yeah in his for life. someone who wasn't a songwriter his catalog is really autobiographical especially the 70s mm. because of the, the choices that he's making like, and this song written by chris christian i think it was specifically written for elvis because i couldn't find anyone else that had covered it before mm-hmm. him but yeah i mean this one again this one's okay it's not an amazing track i like the bass mm-hmm. line that sort of leads the song in the chorus apart from that there's really not that much to it there's some nice backing vocals and like you said the strings the violins there but you could do without the strings yeah. this could end up on that that album without all the right, overdubs right. yeah it it does <laughs> it'd, it'd be better it'd be better for yeah, it it just yeah it feels a little bit like a parody of a song well right. even even the title is almost, you could look yeah. at it as a parody i mean who You're would right. call a love song Love song. A love song. <laughs> yeah. Except a Prince song written for Madonna, but that's another oh, story. That's true. Yeah. It's. What else can we say? <laughs> I, I do like it. Like, I, I don't want to be too negative about it because I do enjoy it. It's just that I kind of recognize it as more of a guilty pleasure. Well, here's than something I did last night. I listened to this in bed last night with headphones on, mm-hmm. and I found it to be a different experience to mm-hmm. sitting down at the computer, listening to it, and writing notes at the same time. A better you know, lying in bed in the dark, solely focused on listening and not listening and typing and reading. Yeah. Very different. And I sort of had a yeah, better. Yeah. It was better. Yeah. To solely 
because that's what you know. That's what you used to do when you were a teenager. Yeah. You'd lie in the dark in bed and listen to music with the headphones on. Absolutely. And I did that with this album, and I found it a better album and better songs because I was listening more carefully. I was focusing on it a hundred percent, and not what am I going to type about this song? Right. So I think I need to do that for every every album we do now. I will still. I mean, I've still got to write notes, yeah, but yeah. I will make sure I get at least one or two listens in just with the headphones focused on nothing else. Yeah. I think that's what I need to do. Well, I bet the the next track, if you were listening to that in the dark with headphones, had to be a really cool experience. Oh yeah. For track six. So this is we're kicking off side B. If you're with the vinyl. Mm-hmm. Track one, side B, or if you still got the CD, number six, <laughs> uh, it's midnight. Yeah. Now you've probably heard live versions of this. Yes. Yeah. This, I love this song. Uh, this, to me, is one of Elvis's sort of signature songs. Even though I, I guess it's not that well known. And this has to be about Priscilla, it's, right? You know, probably. Very uh, likely. <laughs> it gets, it yeah, gets I mean, to midnight. It gets to midnight. He's alone. Yeah. You know, it's such a good song. That's what you're gonna think. I, I can't tell you how many midnights I've listened to this when I'm, you know, depressed and <laughs> thinking about somebody I lost, that kind of thing. Mm. And this is one that builds. At least he's got when he does the chorus of this one. There's some real power there, unlike you know maybe the last two songs. Mm. So the the strength is back. Yeah. yeah, I love this song. It's getting late, and that's when I know I'm weak. Yeah, his his vocal is just it builds and builds, and he it starts out really intimate with very few instruments. Yeah, yeah. Like, it just starts off. You got this nice little yeah. acoustic guitar, and you, and you're like, oh, it's going to be a quiet little song. Yeah, and but then man. you got you know orchestra comes in later, and then the drums, and then you know then we get the voice coming out as well, which is what I'm waiting yeah. for. This is one I really love, and the live versions are really good as well. But I think I prefer the studio because it is so intimate and it feels super autobiographical, even though he didn't write it. And so yeah, mm. I always thought it had to be about Priscilla. Well, even though he didn't write songs, he did. You, you'll know this better than me. He did change lyrics oh yeah that's to suit him yeah you know to suit his situation so when he sings it you know a hundred percent i believe what i'm singing because the old lyrics yeah. you know that was about whatever and he'll change a few words here and there to make it better for mm-hmm. him so i mean that would change the arrangements of things very drastically if you got a chance to uh, oh yeah to listen to that big mama thornton version of hound dog i did to... i did so different i mean so different and still you know amazing yeah, as well wildly different interpretation i mean how you could hear big mama thornton's song and then go into the studio and come out with the rock and roll thing is just amazing mm. so yeah he was i mean that's what he was he was an amazing interpreter of other people's songs i mean so was frank sinatra and mm. dean martin none of those people were songwriters they were part of the vocalists uh yeah but yeah it's uh it's it's a great song what do you think i don't have that much else to say about it i, I like mm-hmm. it it's a good song what we didn't get in the last couple songs is we get a bit of power yes. out of Elvis's voice, which is, that's what I'm here for. Right. I'm just, I'm waiting. And like, I think back to like some Roy Orbison songs, mm. it's similar mm-hmm. in that way. Like he'll do a lot of fairly quiet songs. And then the last couple of lines, it's like, oh, here we yeah. go. He just goes crazy. And you're like, oh yeah, that, that was worth the wait. That was, you know, the whole song would yeah. build up. And then you've got this big thing at the end, and it's like, you know, that's that's a song. Yeah, like crying. That's just the, the song. The, it's, that's oh, one of yeah. my favorite Orbisons. Yeah, and that's yeah, one yeah. that's just like builds and builds, and then that last note is just insane. But here's the controversial question Do you prefer the original or the duet with KD Lang? Because uh, I like the KD Lang duet version more. It's just the yeah. harmonies, they, they get me more than the original. The original's a bit uh, slower, I think, and a bit more intimate, but. I like the duet version. I really, What's I really you? love Katie Lang. 
Um, I'd have to go back and listen to it because it's been a while. I haven't listened to it for years, but I can tell you straight away I prefer that version. I, I probably will too because I really do love Katie Lang. I think she has the most – she is the best female vocalist in my mind of all time, honestly. I, I love, Holy love moly. Katie Lang's voice. That's a statement. It's, it's a, it is. It really is kind of a, a big thing to say. But yeah, Katie Lang is fantastic. But yeah, I haven't listened to that in years. So oh, I don't that's really great. Remember it's it. so good. It is so good. But yeah, not much else to say about It's Midnight. So I think we can go to track seven. Your love's been a long time yes, coming. Yes, the most skippable track on the album for me. Oh, there <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, there's not a lot to say about it this one. It feels really old-fashioned for 1975. It feels... I mean, the couple of little areas where Elvis's voice sounds really vulnerable, and that's kind of neat. Yeah, there's a couple of places where it really slows down, and Elvis does some some nice vocals that are a little higher than usual but overall i mean it's just it just feels like a it just drones on it's it yeah i, I don't i don't like i really don't mm. it, there's nothing wrong with his vocal as always it's perfect it's just not a song that Ooh. gets me i would actually argue that point oh okay something i noticed on this album especially on these like slower sort of country songs is the quieter and softer that he sings the less stable his vocal is mm -hmm. Like I noticed a lot of like vibrato and like quivering yeah. in his voice, like the less and less energy that he put into it. But then, you know, he comes out and right. belts out a line and it's perfect. So I think he had a, maybe a bit less control. Oh, I think that's purpose. The less he was putting in. I think in. he does that very purposefully. And I think when we get to track, when we get to track oh, nine, okay. this will come up again. No, I think that is a very deliberate choice to sound uh, ah, okay. You know, less like because you know when Elvis used that big, powerful voice to sound yeah. emotional. I mean, he sounded and, like you know, thunder yeah. when he would when he would bring it. And so, yeah, yeah I, I think that's a real purposeful choice on Elvis's part to to give himself that vulnerability. Ah, uh, okay. I mean, that's just my opinion, but that's that's my feeling about when he does the sort of slower, more tender he parts. He should just belt out every song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just sing every song, just shouting. <laughs> Well, that's this is one that he's never never done in concert. Yeah, it just feels like an album track that they, you know, that's 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 my most skippable track. That's the one that I one consider. One of the things, the criticisms I read about this album, or these these sessions that it came from, I think mm -hmm. they literally recorded twenty tracks, and people are like, you could have put out a great twelve track album or fifteen track album, but mm -hmm. you know. RCAs or whoever decided we're going to put yeah. we're going to use up every track we're going to leave nothing on the shelf it's just going to be 10 tracks 10 tracks we'll split them up and that's the albums so you know even though some of these songs you might say this is the weakest track if mm -hmm. they had made that different choice and put out say a 12 track album we wouldn't have heard say eight of these songs but that could yeah. have been for the better it could have been for the better of the album the 12 track album that was released because it would have had much you know stronger yeah. material on it but that's the, that's the choice we got. <laughs> yeah, he recorded this song in the studio between Promised Land and There's a Honky Tonk okay. Angel, which those two, Honky Tonk and and this one, Your Long, Love's Been a Long Time Coming, are my least favorite two, probably. I mean, yeah, I don't have much. It's, I mean, you, straight away you get a bit of a country vibe because, you know, a lot of these songs are... Yeah, they're country. Well, you said it went to number one. Them, I don't know if you call them country, though, because I'm not that familiar with country. And like you said, these are more sort of pop country than just country. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, I prefer the chorus to the verses because in the chorus you get a bit more energy out right. of Elvis, out of his voice. The mm -hmm. verses are pretty standard. But, yeah, I heard it through about five times. 
the first time, second time, I'm just, yeah, I'm like, this is pretty skippable. <laughs> but then about five times through, six times, I'm like, yeah, it's, it's okay. Again, yeah. it's not awful. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a bit more memorable than I first gave it credit for, but yeah, nothing, nothing amazing. Yeah, that's I, for sure. <laughs> I think that's the thing with Elvis songs, even the worst track, there's because of his voice. There's always something there. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you can't. Yeah, there's always something in any Elvis song because of Elvis. But then you've got people who just love everything Elvis does because it's Elvis. And then there'll be people who'll be like, look, I can objectively look at that. And this, you know, this track or that track is not is not right. great. Right. The trick is to, so, um, to be able to hear it objectively. Like, I love Elvis, but have no problem saying this movie sucks or this performance sucks. Yeah, but, but and you can still like Elvis. that movie, even though you know it's not great. <laughs> That's true, too. Yeah, I, I can't completely dismiss any Elvis song that I can think of, really. Well, you know, that's like, um, say, Under the Cherry Moon. Mm-hmm. You know, most Prince fans, almost all Prince fans love that movie. Yeah. But they, almost all of them will admit it's not good at all. <laughs> it's like this really weird, cheesy, black and white comedy, yeah. whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. But we all love it. But we know it's ridiculous and we know it's bad. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, because there's Prince Ridiculous and then there's just Ridiculous. And there, Prince Ridiculous <laughs> yeah. is a lot more fun. <laughs> And I would say kind yeah, of the same. At least same. there's that sense of humor there. Yeah. yeah. What, a, what so, a weird movie that was. So we're done with that. It's track eight. In the, uh, I know you love this song. It's If You Talk In Your Sleep. Yeah, I love this song. Written by one of his bodyguards, Red West. Red West and Johnny Christopher, who also wrote mm-hmm. Always On My Mind, ah, which was a massive hit yes. for a bunch of people, including Elvis. Yeah. I think Elvis had the first hit version, though. Yep. yep. But uh, yeah, I did so. not even know that name. Uh, I knew about Red West because he wrote a couple of songs for Elvis. I think he wrote a really good Christmas song in the 60s called If Every Day Was Like Christmas. That's also Red West. Yeah, there was a couple others yeah, as well. Separate yeah, Separate Ways, I think he co-wrote or wrote. Anyway, um, this is maybe my favorite track on the album. It's one of my favorite Elvis tracks from the 70s. It's one that I play for people who don't like Elvis because they never expect it's Elvis. Uh, the music is very mm. different than his usual stuff. It's very funky. It feels very contemporary, especially coming after the last track. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's just great, funky 70s. It's the first track on the album that really feels like, oh, okay, this is the 70s. Now we're now we're in it. Yeah, I've just always thought it sounds like it could be in a, like a black exploitation movie or something. It's just got that. And it's kind of got a dirty lyric in a sense. You know what I mean? I mean, he's... He's sleeping with some woman who's cheating on her man. I suppose, yeah, when you think about it, yeah. If you talk in your sleep, what is it? Don't mention my yeah. name. Yeah. So, yeah, if she's in bed with someone else, right. yeah, that's not something you want. Right. That's the whole thing. Is when you, if you talk in your sleep and you're sleeping with your husband, don't mention me. Yeah, don't call out Elvis <laughs> at inappropriate. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, I, I love this. This is my favorite, maybe my favorite track on the album. The next one we're going to talk about, number nine, is also yeah. one of my favorites. So, yeah, this is a... Album yeah. highlight for me? Yeah, I think so. I think this is my favorite one on here. This was a single. Mm-hmm. B-Side was Help Me. When I started listening to this, I don't think I'd heard this song before. I didn't recall. Yeah. I probably have. I just didn't remember it. And straight away, the, the first five seconds, ten seconds, I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Yeah. I just know it. <laughs> <laughs> it has <laughs> you, a great You've got opening. the bass and, and then the horns. Elvis's voice is just gold. Yeah. And this is another song where some of the chords are just unexpected. There's a couple mm-hmm. times in this... And I'm just like, oh, wow, you're, you're going there. Yeah. Again, it's just not normal, <laughs> but it works. It works. Yeah. Uh, the strings in this are great. They're, they're mixed well with the horns. Mm-hmm. I think possibly the horns are a little bit too loud, but, you know, you can't be too picky. Yeah. 
Now, even though this is, it's just under two and a half minutes, like you, it's probably my favorite song on this album. Mm-hmm. Help Me is pretty close because I know it much better. I've heard it a million times. Mm-hmm. But even though I've just heard this like six times, I really like it. And I'm going to like anything that's more on the, the funky side of things than a ballad or a country yeah. song. That's just what I like. But yeah, nice bass throughout this track. That's always good to hear. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'll say this is my favorite track on this album. Yeah. I'd say Help Me would be second. Yeah. Oh, actually, Promise Land as well. Maybe tied. <laughs> Prom- yeah, Promise Land might. Promise Land is up there. If I were like in charge of this album, I would cut quite a few of these tracks. Well, then it would be too short. Well, look, if you only had these 10 tracks, you can cut it down to, say, a four-track EP. Mm, that yeah. would be great. Right. But yeah, if you if you talk in your sleep, I wish somebody would put that in a movie. It has kind of a cinematic a seventies vibe, but it has almost a cinematic vibe yep. to me. It just I can just see it. Quentin Tarantino needs yeah. to put that in his, That's his exactly, next movie. Exactly who I was thinking yep. of. Yeah. That's it. Agreed. So are we, is that That was track eight. Okay, so track nine, thinking about you. Yes. Let's go. This is another favorite of mine. He sings it in a very different register than normal. And and the very first time I heard it, I I almost thought it was an outtake because I'd heard it in a different setting, I think. But yeah, right after he does that first line, woke up this morning and tried to call you. He does this weird little mm, off to I the heard, side. I heard like, that, you know, I did. It's really that. interesting because it sounds like him reacting to the way the first line came mm. out of his mouth. But I'm not sure it is. Yeah, he, he really sings this differently than most, almost any other Elvis song that I can think of. It's a very different vocal. I like that this is acoustic. I think this one also sounds more contemporary than most of the rest of the album. I mean, contemporary country or acoustic or whatever. It's another regret, lost love song. I don't know how many we're up to now, but three or four yeah, on this album. There's a, there's a few. <laughs> uh, this was also on a on a single. I don't remember if it was the A side or the B side. Probably a B side. But yeah, it's just uh, I love his vocal in this, and I love that it's more acoustic based. It's not quite as you know, sometimes he gets overproduced in the 70s, especially. But I like mm. that this is nice and quiet. And I love the lyrics. It's a it's just a favorite song of mine. Oh, uh, then you might not like what I'm going to say. Oh, you don't. You're not. <laughs> you're not crazy about this one. Then. Well, I'll say this, but I'll have to explain it. Um, mm. So don't take it the wrong way. I'm talking okay. to you and I'm talking to everyone listening. But I think the songs that you've already mentioned are sort of like the, the regret songs or whatever. Mm. I think a bunch of these songs, I would fit into the category of easy listening. Mm. And to explain that, I don't mean what everyone these days thinks easy listening means, but my interpretation, which is pretty much literal, and that these songs are just really easy to listen to. Mm -hmm. You know, they're sort of slow, they're sort of country or ballads. They're very easy on the ears, which is what I mean, which is perfectly fine. But that's not the style of music that I like. I like music that somehow gets my attention and I listen to it and I'm like, oh, wow, listen to that. Right. Like that rarely happens in some of these songs. So, yeah, I mean, this song, I get the feeling I'll be saying this fairly often and that's, it sort of comes and goes. It just passes by. It's very easy. It's easy listening. Yeah. You know, and nothing really grabs me like some other songs can do. That's what I'll say about it. I agree with you, actually. But again, yeah, not in a bad way. Around this time, I think Bread, do you know that group from the 70s? I do. This, this yeah, is guy, yeah. I know Elvis was definitely listening to them. I wish he would have recorded anything that they had done, but he didn't. But yeah, this feels like it's sort of in the category of bread or that, that 70s light rock, adult contemporary, easy listening, that whole. Mm. And I don't mind that category. I mean, I'm not listening to that all the time. But, but yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, yeah, so songs like that, it's or even albums, it's not something that I would regularly put on. But 
when songs like, you know, even like, you know, I'm thinking of like Doobie Brothers and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, that sort of 70s, yeah, like sort of soft rock, whatever you want to call it. And it just comes on. It's nice to listen to and then it's over. Right. Well, especially because you're not a lyrics person, right? You're much more music. Not really. And for me, again, talking about being depressed all the time, it's a great depressing song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, one of, like I said, four or five on this album where if you're already down and having this... You're going to get further (laughs) down. (laughs) Well, it depends because it's so fun to sing along with Elvis and... I guess by the yeah. end of the song, the character in the song has kind of gotten better. It's a little bit of a journey. Like he starts out where he's he's thinking about her, he's sad, goes to her house to see her. But before he gets there, sees another guy come to the door and go off with her. And so there's there's definitely like a journey in this song. Because toward the end, it's long time has passed since the day I cried. Life is fine. I'm feeling fine. So it, it ends on a slightly up note. But yeah, I, I just dig this whole song. It's, it's, there's a little bit of a journey. There's a little bit of a story in it. It does just, it, everything you said is true, that it just kind of passes by. But it's, yeah, it's a really nice, I don't know quite how long the song is, but it's a nice way to spend. Three, just yeah, over well, three minutes. Well, it's an excellent way to spend three minutes. It's, uh, it's a light. Yeah. The music is light, breezy, acoustic. The vocal is pretty weird for Elvis. It's a very different register the way he sings this. It almost, you know what, you know what it reminds me of now that you said that. What was that Kenny Rogers song that Prince did? Oh, oh, you're my love. And he sang it really. <laughs> it just sounded weird yeah. the way he sang it because you're like, that's not the sort of song that he does, and he doesn't sing like that. Not at all. No. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. But it's not that different. It's not like I wouldn't compare it to that. But yeah, well, it's in not a, that in a strong, strongly different. Did Prince write that in the seventies or did he? I think it was. was yeah, I think later? it was really early written, like either late seventies or early eighties. Yeah. So I think what Kenny Rogers was doing around you know seventy eight or seventy nine is very much in the same mold as this song, "Thinking of You." It's that kind of country pop, mm. and the Prince song is like that too. It's country, but it's pop. You know, it's country pop. Yeah, that's a good comparison. I definitely can see that. This song, it's okay. <laughs> we get that sort of double time part in the chorus. Yeah. I like that. You get a little guitar solo on the fade out and then and then it's all over. But again, like all that stuff I said before about being easy listening, that's not a negative yeah. thing. It's just the way I see it. And because I don't love easy listening, you know, if I loved easy listening, I would say this was an amazing, right. great song. But <laughs> I don't. <laughs> um but it's, it's fine, again. Yeah. It is, what, it is what it is. I'm definitely a fan. This sort of song, do you think this sort of song, this, you know, I'll just call it easy listening because that's mm. what it is. Do you think that sort of music at some point was very popular because the public didn't want to be offended in any way? Um, they didn't want something to like grab their attention. They just wanted a nice song to listen to and then maybe move so. on. Maybe th- so. I feel like easy listening was extremely popular from about, 1970 until maybe 75, 76. I, I feel like there were a lot of, because when I think of songs in the 70s, I mean, you think of Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin, but when you think of in, when I think of individual tracks, I think of songs like This Guy's In Love With You, The Stuff, Bread, Aubrey, mm. uh, I Want To Make It With You, all these light, yeah, I do think light rock or easy listening, either of those are kind of interchangeable. I, I do yeah. think it was very, very popular at this time. And that's why, to me, this is one of the more contemporary sounding songs on this album, along with the previous one. It feels like a 70s radio song. I, I could easily, I, yeah. and I've listened to yeah. this in the car before, not on the radio, but it's a great breezy song to be driving around to. Yeah, why? I don't know. Maybe because the 60s were so turbulent and so many yeah, things maybe. were happening politically. And uh, and so, yeah, maybe they wanted Maybe they're rock. like, let's just let's just calm down a bit now. <laughs> right. Yeah. That ma- <laughs> let's just have a rest. That makes perfect sense. But look, here's a statement. I, mean, I don't know how many 
people like this exist, but I think if you love, just let's call it the mm-hmm. easy listening category of music, I don't think you could call yourself a music lover. If that's all you because love? It's, well, not, not all, but maybe predominantly, uh-huh. because it's such an inoffensive <laughs> like style of music. I s- and like I rarely find anything musically interesting in any sort of song that you would classify anywhere near easy right. listening. Or, but see, yeah. you like to be musically challenged, I think. I mean, you can't be a Prince fan and not like to be musically oh, challenged. Yeah. <laughs> I, but see, if you love easy listening, you know, and a song just say mm-hmm. like this one came on, like thinking about you, you know, you might enjoy it. You might just be like, oh, isn't mm-hmm. that a nice song? But I don't get anything out of that. I need something. I need something interesting, something. And I'm not saying it has to be some crazy, wacky chord or some mm-hmm. some crazy, crazy thing. Just something. Well, But some of these songs, they just have so little of musical interest. And I think this could be where I, I'm missing out in some element of listening to Elvis. And that's because I'm not massive on listening yeah. to lyrics. And that seems to be a big part of, you know, he chose this song because he, he liked this song. He liked the lyrics. He liked the message in the song. And I don't pay that much attention to that part of it. So I, I think I could be missing a big a big thing here. Maybe I need to um, listen more. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was thinking that when we were covering some live stuff that you, maybe because you're a musician, you really pay attention to the music and the, what's going on with the instruments. And in the concerts, you're also you know focused on the actual performance. And that's different. That's very different yeah. than me. It's kind of made me uh, look at things differently when we do the concerts anyway. Uh, yeah, this one, it's the lyrics that have always appealed to me. First of all, I can't listen to Elvis without singing along. And I know every word to every song, even yeah. the ones that are in different languages. I just know <laughs> wow. every lyric. Yeah, and he did like two, two or three. I did notice listening in the dark, I was more focused on listening to the actual lyrics. So I think, uh, yeah, I definitely need yeah. to do that more to get more out well, of this it. This one definitely hit me. Again, maybe you have to be depressed <laughs> to, to really, to really, if you really <laughs> want to get a lot out of it, you've got to be depressed to listen to it. Yeah, no, I, I like it. Like I said, it, the lyrics on this yeah. one, it does go on a little bit of a journey between the depression and him claiming to be okay by the end of it. I, I don't disagree about music. I, I, the music yeah. part of it, you're right. There's nothing really, really going on. And even the vocal, there's no powerhouse. Like segments. even when James does some great guitar thing, I know for him, again, he can do that in his sleep, just like the way Elvis seems on a couple of these tracks. It's just like so mm-hmm. automatic. It's like there's no there's no thought. You know, James could just do that without even thinking about yeah. it. And there are some nice, nice bits here and there, but generally it's like that's just a standard thing that everyone does in every song from this, yeah. you know, from those times. I'm trying to think <laughs> if it's slightly – I can't think of another Elvis song that I would say was similar to this one. I mean, other than lyrically, like I said, right on this album, there's a few with the same subject matter. But in Elvis's entire catalog, especially in the 70s, I don't think he's ever really sang a song using this slightly strange vocal. To me, this is weird in his whole catalog. This one stands out to me as being different than similar to other 70s stuff, but different than most other Elvis stuff. Does this have other outtakes of this as well, or is this the only one? From these sessions, I think. You know, I don't I know. I mean, there is an expanded thing of this know. album, so there probably there might be a couple. Yeah. Yeah, I see. Take four, take five. Okay, and six, so there's a few few different versions. Yeah. Yeah, at least six, it looks like. Although there might have been a couple of false starts. Yeah, I, I should go back mm. and check out some of those because there's probably some with that are even mm. more acoustic and might make it sound even more intimate. And I might, I might like that even more. One more real quick thing is, especially in the 70s, there's almost no acoustic based 
Elvis music in the 70s. I mean, there might be a few exceptions, and there's some with piano, but mm. this one has an acoustic guitar, I think, kind of up front, and it's yeah. the main instrument I think of when I think of this song. And that, there's just, they don't have that in the 70s. You have to go all the way back to the early 60s, really, to find... I'm talking hmm? just Elvis, yeah. Right, yeah, just yeah. Elvis, I mean. Yeah. So that's, again, why it stands out a little okay. bit more for me, because it's one of his only real acoustic songs from the 70s. Okay, we're done. Track 10, last track. You asked me to. That's it. So this was written by Billy Joe Shaver mm -hmm. and Waylon Jennings. Yep. And the original version was first recorded by Waylon Jennings. I listened to that. It's on YouTube. And I liked it. It's very country. It's got some great slide guitar on that one. It's got nice harmonies in the chorus. That was the first version. Second version, recorded by the other guy, Billy Joe Shaver, for 1977 album Gypsy Boy, with special guest our friend Willie Nelson ah. on guitar and vocals, who we've already mentioned before. Yeah. So there's another, there's a connection there. And I wouldn't know who Billy Joe Shaver was if it weren't for Norm MacDonald. Ah, who yes. apparently is a huge fan of Billy Joe Shaver. He's talked about him. Do you know what? I've heard Norm mention him before. But I just, yeah. I never even connected it to this. Well, I didn't know it until you mentioned it. And then it automatically, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Billy Joel Shaver. Because I remember yeah. looking him yeah, up. I've heard, I've heard Norm talk about it. Norm has a sh or had a show. I think it only had one season on Netflix where he interviewed people. And I'm pretty sure Billy Joel Shaver was ah. the last episode on there. I, actually, I don't think I watched that one. Though. I watched part of it and got bored. I'm, I'm pretty sure I've got all those shows, so I'll have to go back and have a look. Yeah. Well, I think Norm really likes this guy, and so the interview was not as fun. Uh, anyway, but I like this track. But they redid it in 1980, or maybe it was 81, and they did a whole new, like they stripped out all the music, put new music. Uh, Jerry Reed was there on the session. Yeah, there's an album that came out in 1980, 80 or 81, called Guitar Man. And they took all these Elvis vocals, oh, yeah. stripped away all the original music, and put contemporary for 1980 music behind it. And you asked me to... That sounds horrible. <laughs> a lot of fans hate it. I love it. Like, they just came out with two Elvis with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. A lot of fans yep, hate it. Yep. I love it. I mean, you're never going to lose the original. It's always going to be there. Yeah, it's always there. If the that's original, the one you want to listen to, go and listen to it. You don't have to listen to the other one. But I like the remixes. I like I like when they do different things with Elvis music. Because his to me, his vocal is timeless. His voice is never, ever going to yeah. sound dated or anything. It's only the music. So if they can strip the music out, put new music to his voice and make it work, I'm all for it. And You Asked Me To was actually a single. It was the second single from that album. I need to, I didn't notice if it charted or not, but it was released as a single. I heard it on the radio in the 80s, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a great song. I, I like it. It is country or country pop. Again, it's got a nice rhythm to it. I don't know if it's a great I had album. The, I've got the exact closer. same note. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it doesn't. Yeah, it's not a great closer for an album. It's an excellent album track yeah. and like i said when they read when they redid the music and put it out as a single in the 80s it was a great single yeah again i think when rca were putting these these albums together and they've got like, well we've got 10 tracks it <laughs> makes you think right. did they really have any thought behind where tracks went i mean I, I think they could have looked at this and go well this is sort of a bit up tempo that's a good one to close the album on yeah instead of like maybe one of these slow ballads or something yeah, i think if you talk in your sleep would have been a better closer or mm. help me might have been a good closer yeah, I'm looking at the rest of the songs in here. I don't know what I would have closed with, really. Maybe if you talk in your sleep. But anyway, yeah. I'm, I'm talking like I don't like the song. I love the song. It just It is a weak closing for an album. But it's a great song, and I'm a huge fan of it. And more so of the re-recorded version in the early 80s. As soon as I started listening to this, 
I thought I just instantly thought Johnny Cash, and I don't know why. Mm, I could because, see that. I mean, I don't really know Johnny Cash that well. Yeah. But as soon as it started, I just thought of that name right away, and then I'm like trying to think of a Johnny Cash song, and I thought of Walk the Line, which is the most common yeah, that's one. The first one I thought of. And it does have a sort of similar thing, I think, at the start of this song. I agree. Yeah. Um, the rhythm is similar. But uh, and I mean, Elvis' voice sounds great. We get to the chorus, the drums come in. We get more of the backing vocals. Nice solo on this one too. That really sounds good. Mm-hmm. And typical Elvis, you know, kicks it up a bit for the, the last chorus. Mm-hmm. Then we get another little solo and, and then the, then it just fades out. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you don't want to fade out for the last <laughs> track, do you? I, yeah. You want like a big end. You want a big end. I agree. I think that's true. I think when they, when they did re-record those uh, ones with the Royal Philharmonic, I remember whoever was in charge of it specifically saying that we weren't going to have any fade outs. And so every one of those re-recorded ones has a big ending. I just remember the guy saying, yeah, you can't exactly. fade Elvis out. <laughs> and it's like, oh, well. I know some of these tr- the tracks on this album are fade outs, but I think on some of the outtake versions, they maybe have an end. Yeah. Because some, some of them I've noticed are like a minute longer than the one on the album. So, yeah, we'd have, you'd have to go back and listen to those. Yeah. I think there's a background vocalist in this song that kind of gets on my nerves. <laughs> you know, there's one, there's somebody with like a really high voice that's just... Uh, doing this mm-hmm. throughout and it, it, it gets on my nerves a little bit and it's of course not not in the other yeah. version from later so if we if we're gonna that's all we've got to say about that one if we're gonna do some summary of this album i would say this i think one thing many say casual elvis fans don't know i mean if you know if all you know is like the the big hits and you saw a couple of the, the movies and you haven't really gone in dived into every album studio album I think a lot of people don't realize how many songs Elvis did, which I guess you could classify as country uh-huh. or, or country adjacent. Yeah. Because, you know, as opposed to like the early the early days with, you know, it's Jailhouse Rock and it's Blue Suede Shoes and that's what made him so massive in the first place. But like, yeah, I don't remember just ever sitting down listening to these 70s albums. Mm-hmm. And then I listened to them and I'm like, there's a lot of country. And it's just something I, it just never was in my head. Well, I, I, but now it is. Yeah. Like I said, with these albums in the 70s, they kind of divided them up. And it was like, okay, well, we're going to have a couple of country tracks. We're going to have the one mm. religious track. We got to have a couple of rock songs. They're very... Formulaic. I mean, they really are kind <laughs> of... That's exactly... Yeah, that's the word I was going to say. Yeah. And I guess that's all right. I mean, to reach the broadest yeah. audience. You Try know, and give, something, give for, something everybody. for everyone. Yeah. I can remember when... Uh, Prince had his album Diamonds and Pearls out. I feel like they were kind of releasing one single for like, was it Insatiable? Was that Insatiable? Was, I think the album? last so single, yeah. Yeah, and I feel like that one was like marketed to a certain audience and then like Cream was obviously meant for the masses. Yeah. I'd have to look at the charts because I think things were charting on different albums as well. Mm. So yeah, I think it was very purposeful to have your country stuff, your, you know, this one funk song, the one rock song, the one... Uh, the one kind of contemporary Christian song. It's yeah, I think it was a like you said a very formulaic. I don't know if it's if it's a good or a bad thing that Elvis didn't care that much about the studio album output mm-hmm. because you know I mean he was he was a performer that's what he did that was his focus you'd, I think you'd say yeah but you know maybe Colonel Parker said to Elvis you just leave all that to me you just don't you worry your pretty little head about that stuff we'll look after the business right but I don't know if Elvis had had some sort of input into the studio albums if there would have been a difference. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know what what songs he was choosing from either because my understanding is somebody would bring him, you know, a whole bunch of demos that were already on 
that the publishing rights had already been signed away to Parker or whatever on. So he had limited choices. Mm. Uh, I know he ignored that a lot of times, like with Promised Land. Again, he was probably just screwing around with a Chuck Berry song, and they're like, oh, we got to record this. Mm. But for the most part, like you said, I mean, there's one song on here that was written by one of his members of his group. If You Talk In Your Sleep was written yeah. by his bodyguard. So yeah, I don't know if he had the best material to choose from. And as you said, I don't think it was really his main focus. Once he got back into concerts and touring, that was for sure his his main focus. But looking back now, in what is it, in retrospect, you think it's Elvis Presley. How did he not have the pick of any song that he wanted? Why was he stuck with and I think that comes back to Colonel Parker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whatever he could buy cheap and get the rights for, that seems the way that it went. One of the great frustrations with Elvis is he was so good. And then, you know, how could he make all those movies? He didn't like him. A lot of people didn't like him. He just, I don't know. He had this attitude, I think, deep down where I don't know if he had like an inferiority complex or he just really thought he was lucky and that it could all go away if he didn't just keep his Mm. head down and go along. It's, it's, It's one of the great frustrations with loving Elvis is there are so many times that he just could have taken control and done something and he just kind of went along. I think that's why the 68 special yeah, is so he's such a massive thing. It's like the one time he totally ignored Colonel Parker. He was supposed to do a TV special of nothing but Christmas songs, say goodnight and that's and that's oh, it. Oh god. <laughs> yeah, and he ended up doing this black leather concert with almost no one Christmas song I think is in the in the special. Yeah. He does Blue Christmas. But yeah, it's it's that one time he just did what he wanted and he didn't do that very often. And it's literally the most iconic thing he ever did. Absolutely. So just uh-huh. imagine if he had choices later on. Imagine what other iconic yeah. things we could have seen. Absolutely it's right. just crazy to think about. That I, and I'm sure we'll get into it at some point. But yeah, the relationship between him and Colonel Parker is definitely interesting, to say the least. Yeah. Well, particularly, I don't remember what year it was, but there was at some point in the 70s where he was going to end things with Colonel Parker and they had some big argument. And it just blew over. Well, I get the feeling Colonel Parker was the sort of guy, and I, I, I have no memory of this, but I just have the intuition that he was the guy who said, look, I made you, mm-hmm. I can break you. So you just shut up and do as you're told. That's that's just the sort of attitude I get from him. Yeah. Not even knowing that much about him. I'm trying to remember. It was some point in the 70s where Colonel Parker had sold all of the rights to Elvis's back catalog back to RCA. And I don't remember the amount he got, but it was not enough i mean elvis's back catalog from that means from you know 54 all the way until 74 he just sold back to rca for you know not nearly what it was worth yeah there were just a lot of bad decisions i reckon we could do a whole show about yeah about the colonel i'd have to do a lot of reading it definitely seems like money was his number one motivation and everything else was second or third down the list it was definitely not any any artistic Elvis. decisions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it was there was no thought of what he was doing as art. It was product. It was product. Elvis was the big cash cow. Let's see how much we can make. Yeah. So yeah, you're right. Parker really didn't care about Elvis's, you know, personal well-being or artistic integrity. That was not in Colonel Parker's vocabulary. Anyway, that's a whole other show. I think we're done with this. Are we done with Promised Land? I've got nothing else. No, I'm done. There we go then. I hope you like the show, people out there in internet yes. land. <laughs> As do I. Well, if they listen to this, that means they've already, if they listen to this one, they've probably listened to the first two. So that means they've come back twice already. So that's a good sign, I guess. Yeah, that would be a very good sign. 
So thank you, everyone. We'll be back again with something else we haven't decided yet. Send us an email at Elvis email? Reviews. Elvis Reviews Podcast at Gmail. Elvis Reviews Podcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter at Elvis Reviews. I can't believe nobody had already taken that name, but should I should I mention my Elvis Facebook page? Oh okay. yeah, of course. There is a course. I do have an Elvis Facebook page. It's called Alternate Universe Elvis. It's mostly pictures. It's you know a lot of me sharing YouTube videos and stuff. I did mention the podcast on my page, and I plan to share links throughout. That's it. Here's here's the energy, the music. It's it's here. Cool. Oh, how good is this music? How yeah, good is this music? It definitely gets you going. We're getting you going, and yeah, we're, we're also leaving at the same we're time. Going. <laughs> okay. See you next. That's time. it. See you next time. Bye bye.